0: Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. Let's stand as we read God's Word this morning. Thank you for those joining us by Facebook. Amen. God bless you. Man, the worship was awesome. I agree with Elder Ron, I tell you. Uh, That's why I was sitting there getting into that. I didn't know they were going to call me up. I wasn't ready. Uh, Such a blessing. That last song was just so... Uh, powerful today for us. Amen. Just awesome. And I hope you, uh, I know you did. The Holy Spirit's a good teacher. I know he was speaking to you as he was me through that song and in that song. Today I want to talk to you about favor with God and man. Notice I said favor with God and man. We need both. And uh, favor with man is not automatic favor with God comes by the new birth. Just like your child that was born to you did not have to pray, couldn't even pray for your favor but was favored by you just by birth. In other words, you favored that child. That'd be as silly as my kids when they were small coming into the our house and saying, "Daddy, would you please favor me more than the neighbors' children?" That would be a ridiculous prayer, would it not? Because they're my kids and they have my favor just by being born in my family. But one thing that a lot of Christians don't understand or maybe even know is that you can grow in favor with God. You have favor by birth, but that doesn't stop it. That doesn't limit it. And so it says that in the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Of course, this is talking about the child Jesus. And it said the child grew and became strong in spirit, Filled with wisdom and the grace. The word grace here is the same exact Greek word that is sometimes interpreted favor. So, and the grace or the favor of God was upon him. And then in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 52, it says, and Jesus increased. Everybody say increased. Now, notice what he increases in. He increased in wisdom. Now, if Je- how many believe Jesus was God? Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Does God know everything? But Jesus grew in wisdom. How, if you know everything, can you grow in wisdom? Boy, that quietened you off. A lot of Christians believe that Jesus of Nazareth that walked the earth knew everything all the time. That's a mistake. He did not. Jesus did not know everything when he walked the earth. He was dependent upon the same Holy Spirit that now indwells you if you're born again. He actually said out of his mouth there were things he did not know. He was asked one time in the book of Mark what would be the end of the world, the end of the age or the coming. He said, for no man knows this. He says, not the angel. He said, not even the son, S-O-N, him. He said, I don't know it, but only the father knows it. What this proves to us is that Jesus really is your example. We are to imitate him. In other words, we are, he is our example. He is, we are disciples of him. In other words, if Jesus knew everything, then there's no way you and I could follow him in that because we don't know everything. But God, Jesus didn't, didn't lay aside his divinity, but he didn't avail himself of it. Now, there's a statement made in theological realms that, God, that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man when he walked the earth. You can't explain that. Mathematically, it's impossible. He's trying to explain God. But Jesus did not avail himself. The only way Jesus knew he was Jesus is the Holy Spirit had to reveal it to him. His parents had to tell him that you're Jesus. His parents, You see, we don't think like that. Your pa- his parents, you think it just was downloaded automatically. They had, you don't think that, that Joseph and Mary told him the miraculous events that surrounded his birth? You don't think they mentioned to him when he got old enough to understand about Gabriel personally visiting each of them? You don't think they shared that with him? And that began to stir in his heart as a little young guy? Jesus didn't do any miracles. Jesus didn't float on top of the bathtub water. Jesus didn't levitate his toys and bring them across the room. That's all silliness. Jesus didn't do any miracles until he was endued with power from on high after he was 30 years of age. He couldn't heal anybody. He couldn't save anybody. He couldn't do anything until he was endued with power at his baptism. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily form as a dove, it says. And it remained upon him. And it was after that that he started his miracle ministry. Amen? Amen. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in, look at this, favor with God and men. Amen? Be seated. With God and men. Jesus grew in favor with God and men. And if Jesus grew in favor with God and men, guess what? You and I can grow in favor with God and men. Now, favor in the Old Testament is different totally than the favor of the new covenant. When you see the word favor, and it is in there many times in the old covenant, it is always in the connotation of this. It says things like this over and over. If I have found favor, O Lord, in thy sight, then please do this or do that, if I have found favor. Or there are prayers in the Old Testament where someone is praying and asking God for favor. They are pleading for favor. They are begging for favor. They are saying, if I have found favor in your sight, then please do this. Please deliver me. Please heal me. Please do this or that. You will never find a prayer like that in the new covenant. You will never find one prayer in the new covenant where someone is praying and asking God for favor. You have favor because God's your father and we are now children of God. We have been adopted into the family of God. He is your father. You are his child. And so you have favor, but yet you can increase in favor. How many knows your kid has your favor just by being your kid? But if that kid has some initiative on their own, that they clean up the room, that they see the trash can. I know you've never seen this, but just imagine it. If they see the trash can full, they don't have to be told to carry it out. They carried it out to help out. They actually put their clothes in the hamper where they go. If the kid did that, would not that kid increase in your favor? Would, not, would you not want to reward that? And bless that. And so you got two kids. They're both your kids. You love them equally. But one of those children is growing in your favor because they're moving in realms of obedience they're pursuing more, right? And so that's kind of the way it is. The, the Bible uh, talks about this word favor a lot. Now, I just wanted to mention this one. It's not maybe the main point, but in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, this is talking about Gabriel visiting Mary. And when he comes upon her, he says to her, Rejoice, Luke 1 28, rejoice, highly favored. Everybody say favored highly favored one the lord is with you blessed are you among women now when you read that you go that's that's mother mary that's mary that's we we get that she's special and she is but that word there that is greek word the original language translated into favored for us in english is a very unusual rare word it is only found two times in the entirety of the bible and it's a word that uh, comes out of the word gifts or favor, charisma, but it's, it's, it's caritio, caritio. And it is an unusual word because it's, it's so only used twice. And so that word caritio there is translated favored. And the angel Gabriel said that to Mary. He said, You're favored. Not only are you favored, he said, You're highly favored. Now, you easily accept that being Mary's position, highly favored. But you and I struggle with looking at ourselves as highly favored. But that exact same Greek word is used again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Ephesians 1 and 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his what? Grace. Wherein he, God, hath made us what? Accepted. There it is. That word translated here, accepted, is the same Greek word translated favored to Mary. It is only used twice in in your Bible, and the first time he is talking to Mary, the second time he's talking to you. And he says that, that that I have accepted you in the beloved. Who is the beloved? What's his name? Jesus. God says, I have accepted you in Jesus... To the praise of the glory of not. Notice it doesn't say to the praise of the glory of your performance. To the praise of the glory of your effort. No, to the praise of the glory of his what? Unmerited what? Favor. Grace. Unmerited favor. And and you got to understand that every one of you has God's favor on your life. Now. One, that we, we, we got Old Testament examples of tremendous favor upon people's lives. One of those amazing people is King Solomon. Now Solomon was such a favored king that Queen uh, Sheba drove—I uh, uh, she drove. She did drove camels. She came from so far away. Took her months, months, and months to travel, with an entourage filled with all kind of wealth and gold and jewelry and. And, and, and things to give to Solomon, not because he needed it, but she wanted to sow in to that blessing, that favor that was on his life. And so she's a, a, a heathen queen. that She comes to this man just to set at his feet. And she actually says to him, and the Bible says of him in 1 Kings 10 and 9, I wanted to read a different translation, of the New Jerusalem Bible, because it uses the word accurately. It says, Blessed be Yahweh, Your God who has shown his favor by setting you on the throne of Israel. He's talking to Solomon. Blessed be the God of Yahweh. Blessed be the God of Israel. He's shown you favor by setting you on the throne. Listen, why? Because of Yahweh's everlasting love for Israel. In other words, he says the favor that's on your life is because he loves the people around you so much. Do you understand that the favor that's on your life is not for you only? The favor that's on your life is because God loves people around you. In fact, God loves the world. And he don't only love the world, but he so loves the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whoever would just believe in him, put their faith in him, put their trust in him, they would not have to perish. But they would have everlasting life, eternal life, not temporary life, but eternal life. And that's exactly what you're gifted with when you're born again. You get eternal life. And yet we still live with Christians that are worried about losing it. Listen to this statement. Insecurity, any insecurity that you ever feel is wrong security in you exposed. Did you hear me? Man, that's a tweetable quote there. Insecurity is wrong security exposed. So remember that when you feel that insecurity and you feel like you're standing on something that's not safe, not secure, then that's a that's a belief that you have that is not grounded upon Jesus. God's favor is not just about us, it's about those around us. You remember in 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 Luke seven that woman with the alabaster box? Remember that story? Amazing story. She was, as the Bible refers to her in one of the Gospels, a sinful woman. Jesus is sitting in there. She comes in with this alabaster box. Now, the Bible gives us the value of it. It says it was, it was worth over a year's wages. Imagine, it, it took you a year to work to have the money to buy that ointment. And that ointment placed inside of a very special, precious, costly even, But what was costly was what was in the box. It wasn't the box. And she took that, and she could have kept it for herself. She could have said, this is mine. I've worked for it. Somebody in my family worked for it and gifted it to me. However she obtained it, we don't know. But she has it in her possession. It is hers. She could keep it all for herself, or she could do something else with it. She decided she'd do something else with it. She would take what God had blessed her with and pour it on Jesus. She took and she broke that box. She broke that seal on that alabaster. The Bible calls it fragrant oil. And when she broke that seal, I'm telling you, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of that ointment. And she poured it upon his head, it says. She began to take her hair and, and dry his feet because of the tears that was falling out of her eyes upon his feet. She washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, kissed his feet with her lips. See, these were all the tools of the trade that she used to put and use and be used by the enemy. For when the Bible said she was a sinful woman, it's saying in many trends she is a prostitute. She used that hair and those lips and those eyes. And yet now she turns all of that affection on a person that is deserving, only deserving, and that's Jesus and I want to tell you, you don't think that Jesus smelled like that ointment? Sure he did. It was poured on his head. But you know who else left that place smelling like that? That woman did. See, what you pour on him will be on you. Amen. You know, it will never be wasted. But what you pour out on him will get on you. <laughs> See, the praise team you, all was pouring it out on us. It, but it got on us, but it got on you too. See, that was favor, but she used it for God. I love how sometimes tribulation, it'll help us really in a way to reveal to us really what we're believing in and trusting in and where we're standing. God's an amazing dad. And you see examples of it, of God's grace, even throughout the old covenant. And one of those is in Exodus chapter 13 where the children of Israel have just being led by Moses, a type of Jesus, out of bondage, Egypt, and they're being led into the promises of God, the promised land. And it says in verse 17, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war when they see difficulty, when they see COVID-19, when they see violence and fear, when they see these things then return to bondage. It's amazing how so many times people turn back to bondage because they see trouble, they see trials, they see tests, they see tribulation, and they know that God was leading them and they don't understand the path in which God is leading them on. See, they've got GPS now, and they know that it's shorter if I go this way. But God is saying, go this way. And sometimes they wrestle because they think maybe at least in that moment they know more than God because if they was God, they'd go this way. But God says, no, I'm leading you this way. It don't look right. It don't feel right. But I'm leading you on a different path than you would take because the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. You don't know the way I know the way because I am the way I am Yahweh. And God knows the way that you're leading, that He's leading you. God's leading you somewhere. See, God's a shepherd, we the sheep. And, and 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 our challenge is to trust in the shepherd every day. To follow his leadership, follow his leading. I remember when I was a paramedic in, in Tifton and I was a street medic, we called it. And I, I worked, you know, the amlets and, and and you know, this is I started in 1978, and then I, in seventy nine I went to Tifton. And uh, we was, I was making a whole $2.64 an hour for saving lives and stamping out disease. Road doctor, whatever you want to, you know, and uh, it's amazing. That wasn't a lot of money even back then. But we worked so many hours. If we just went to work 24 hours on, 48 off, which was what we was hired to do, we worked 56 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. But none of us worked that minimum amount because every time that ambulance had to leave Tifton and go to Augusta or Atlanta or wherever, off-duty crews had to come in and take those spots. And this is no exaggeration my wife sitting here when those be true. I mean, it was just we all every two weeks we worked 48 hours straight. I've worked 72 hours straight many times. I've worked 96 hours straight. And on one hand, we didn't mind it so much because that just Everything over that 80 hours in two-week period was time and a half. And he, he was able to make some more money. And I remember in in 1984, I was making, you know, about $26,000 a year. I thought, man, that's a lot of money. I was working a lot of hours for it. And then, too long to tell, to take too much time, but I had been praying for a job. Been praying to get off of that long hours and... Now we had a little boy at home that played those drums this morning. And I wanted to be home with him and tuck him in. And, and I kind of wanted to have a, what I call considered to be a normal job, hours, 8 to 5. <laughs> um, and so I prayed for it. Not only did I pray for it, I went and applied for it in many places. I said, I'll go to work for Georgia Power. They pay good. I'm God's kid. They'll hire me. Hallelujah. And I would put in applications and I would go and I would seek. And in Georgia Power, you take a test and it, 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 back in those days and it, it, it made you available for certain jobs. But there were so many people wanting to get on with Georgia Power in those days that you had to come every 90 days physically to that central office and personally sign your application to keep it current. If not, they throw it in the garbage. So I had applied in Valdosta, this office, in Tifton, And I even applied in Waycross and in Albany. And I was willing to move. I said, God, I'm just ready to be home with my family every night, be at church on every Sunday. Just tired of this. Love my job, but I just wanted more hours at home. That went on for several years. This was around in 1982, 83 or something like that. You know, when you first do something, you got a lot of faith. Ah, God's going to do it. I'm God's kid. Hallelujah. Didn't happen. And I got tired of driving. Every 90 days, I'd have to physically drive to these places. And when I first started it, I had a lot of faith, it seemed like. And then about a year went by. Now, I said, I'm tired of driving all of me, so I let that one drop off. Then I got tired of driving Way across, and I let that one drop off. And then it was just about Austin Tifton, about Austin Tifton. But I never got a call. They never hired me. And I remember in, in, in 1984, our chief of the ambulance service, resigned in May of that year. Now, this is in November of that year, so from May to November, we have not had a chief. Each shift supervisor, captain, you know, just handled their shift and and we had one of the senior captains that would deal with the commissioners if there was the problem. But we didn't have a chief in that position. And uh, nobody that had ever held that job, the itinerary, in other words, nobody had ever the, 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 not the itinerary, but, but the, the tenure. No, nobody had ever stayed in that position since they started an service more than two years, 24 months. It was a high-pressure job working for county commissioners, and it was just a stressful position, and they didn't last. So there wasn't a lot of interest, and there was no interest out of our department. And I remember, I remember this with all of my heart. This is absolute truth. I was standing at, I was working at the service where I spent so many hours, and I was, I was talking to God. I was complaining to God. I was fussing to God. I was praying. And I said, God, I don't understand you. <laughs> That's an amazing statement, isn't it? I said, God, I don't understand you. I said, I've been praying to you for over two years to get a different job. And I said, you ain't answered my prayer yet. I just said it because I just wanted to say it. I didn't expect him to talk back. Now, you may not believe this, and I don't care, uh, but, but I have heard God. And this was one of those times where God, you say, was it audible? It was louder than audible. It was inside. It was, it was clear. I looked to see if I could see him. I wasn't in by my bed. I didn't have my hands in such, such place. I was just walking. I could take you to the exact spot. And I said, you haven't even answered my prayer. And God said, there's a job right under your nose that I've called you to. You ain't even applied. That's the truth. I froze in my tracks. But I knew it was God. See, I never estimated that I could be the chief of the ambulance service because I was just 26 years old. I didn't hold any position of any rank. They're not gonna make me the chief. But I, knew, I knew that voice. I met with an acting supervisor, the senior captain, and I said, Can you get me a meeting with the chairman of the county commissioners? I want to apply for the chief's job. You know what he did when I said that? He went, <laughs> Oh, you're serious? He laughed. That didn't build my confidence. He laughed. He got me an interview. I interviewed with chairman of the county commissioners. He didn't promise me the job, he just talked to me. And he did say this. He said, Now you're pretty young. We've never had a chief young as you. You'd be supervising men much older than you. You think you can handle that? I said, Yes, sir. He said, Well, we'll be in touch. That didn't boost my confidence. But when God tells you something, you need to stand on it. I remember one night we lived in a little single-wide trailer in Sparks. I was laying in bed, and I was having an anxiety attack. They didn't have it labeled, I don't think, back then, but that's what it was. I was having chest pain, palpitations, sweating. It's called scared. (laughs) I was laying in bed, my wife remembered. And the pressure... And I, she said, what in the world wrong with you? And I said, I know God's going to give me this job because he told me that job's for me. And, and I'm scared because I don't even know what to do. She said, this job going to kill you before you even get it. <laughs> you remember that? That's what she told me. She said, this job's going to kill you before you even get the job. I knew it was God's voice, and I knew he would put me in that position and, and I didn't know how to handle it. But sometimes you got to walk with God, just trust him. So in December, they called me back over again, the chairman again. He said, you know what? He said, I've been thinking over the last few weeks, and he said, I'm going to give you the job. He said, you start January the 1st as the chief. He said, but because you're so young and so inexperienced, he said, this is what we're going to do. He said, I'm going to put you on a 90-day trial. Nobody ever knew that but me. He said, I'm going to put you on a 90-day trial. And after 90 days, I'm going to reevaluate what you're doing. And if I don't think you're doing good, I'm going to put you back on the the street. No, No hard feelings, huh? Okay. And he said, after 90 days, he said, you can do the same with me. He said, after 90 days, if you don't feel like, you know, this ain't what you thought it was going to be, and you want to go back on the street as a street medic, he said, then that's what we'll do. That 90 days came and went, and I was in that position for 12 years. 12 years. And still ain't nobody broke that record up there yet of tenure, and and because God put me there. But let me tell you, my my, my point is this. I applied for a job. I had no idea what it paid. I just assumed it paid more than what I was making. I was a street medic. You remember what I told you I was making? With all them hours, $26,000. That's good money. You know what they told me? when They said, okay, you got the job. I'm going to hire you. You're going to start January 1st. Now, you know you're going to be salaried. No possibility of any overtime or anything. You just, if you have to, whatever it takes to get the job done, that's what you got to do. Yes, sir. I'm waiting for him to tell me, you know, show me the money. (laughs) He said, your salary is going to be $19,900 a year. Gross. Welcome to the chief world. All of a sudden, I wasn't sure I heard God or not. See, God was leading me to a place that on my calculator didn't make sense. Sometimes God will lead you the wrong way, the long way, it looks like to you, and you can't understand what God's doing. God's trying to set you up for blessing. He just wants you to trust him. Now, if you're going to depend on yourself, you're going to deny that job, stay where you are, and you're going to limit yourself because you just limited God. And what limited God was not God's power but your fear. God said, I don't want to lead them that way because if they see the Philistines, their heart will be filled with fear. See, listen, God was the one fighting their battles, but your fear can limit the Holy One of Israel. The Bible says they limited the Holy One of Israel because you won't allow God to lead you because your fear is becoming dominant. Your faith is not the primary. And I just had to say, I said, I know God's going, I don't know how he's going to provide for us because we need every dime of that money just to make it. And, And so I took the job. And then I took a side job. God made a way for us. I don't have time to go into all those stories. But God made a way. But I want to tell you what God did. God used me in that position to lead that department. I'm not making this stuff up. I led that department by God's help. Standing before county commissioners through two raises just for our department, each raise we got was 20% pay increase. So in other words, one year I went before those commissioners, we got a 20% pay increase for, every, for Tiff County Merchant Medical guess what, my pay went up 20%. And then a few years later, I went back before him again, and we got another 20% just for our department to get us up to where we should have been. I wasn't making 20, you know, 19 when I left there, I'll tell you that. I remember one time my salary got, I remember they, the commissioner said, well, you make more than the sheriff. I said, I'm worth more than the sheriff. <laughs> God will put you in a position to bless you. Are you with me? See, God's favor on your life. I remember in Mark chapter 4, remember this story where Jesus, in verse 35, Mark 4 says, on the same day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. He gets in the boat with them. You know the story, most of you. How he goes to the stern of the boat, gets him a pillow, goes to sleep. Now, the disciples are crossing over the Sea of Galilee. It's not a huge body of water, but it's surrounded by Galilean mountains, and it can be so hard if the wind gets up to cross that thing. Seven miles long, 14 miles wide. And so they're crossing to the other side. There's there's another side. You understand what we're going through now as a nation? There's another side. There's the other side of this. All you see is this side but there's the other side. And there's, there's something waiting on the other side that you can't see. But what we've got to do is get from this side to that side. And we've got to make it so that when we get to the other side, we will, that favor on our life will be used for the glory of God. He says that there's another side. I mean, I, Listen, I wonder what God's will is for that disciple loaded, boatload of disciples. I wonder what his will is. Can you tell me what God's will is in this moment? Let us go to the what? other side. See, it's not hard. Y'all work with me. So God's will, right, is to go to the other side. Now he's confident in why? Because he's confident in the word that he released. Let's go to the other side. But let me tell you something. When you speak out something out loud like that, there's, a, there's an enemy that hears that word. That's why you have to really be careful because you speak life or death. And so he said, let us go to the other side. Guess what? If you have an enemy and he don't want you to accomplish God's will and get to the other side, then he's going to oppose God's will. He's going to oppose it. So what does he do? He brings a storm to beat against the boat, it says. Because Satan don't want you to get to the other side. He wants you to just stay in this storm, stay in this confusion, stay in all this trouble. He wants you to just just stay in that. See, you got to understand that the storms that comes our way from the enemy's perspective are meant for one purpose, and that is to dislodge us from what God has said over our lives. What he has said over this nation. What he has said over you individually. that God, God's will here is let's cross over to the other side. And, and, and so they get in this storm and, and their hearts are filled with fear again. Not faith. They, they don't focus on the word. They focus on the waves that are beating against the ship. They are in fear for their lives. And remember, they go to Jesus and they, wake, they find him asleep on a pillow at the stern of the boat. Now, the stern is at the back of the boat. The stern is where the rudder is. Whew, I wish I had time to break it down. But that's what's steering this thing. That is setting course and direction and purpose. And, and, and that's where Jesus is asleep. And, and, and I hear people say, well, he, you know, he wasn't really asleep. He's trying to. No, he was asleep. The Bible says he was asleep. Why was he asleep? Because he wanted to sleep. And, and he's so confident that he can sleep. I wonder if he was able to sleep because in his world, in the kingdom, there are no storms. Jesus is awakened by them with the most silly question, don't you care we perish? Jesus immediately gets up and it says he rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. All right? So Jesus immediately is a good daddy, and he gets up, and his kids are afraid, and he takes care of it. He don't even talk to them. He goes after what's coming against them. Now, if that storm had been sent from God, Jesus rebuking it, he would have been, in in essence, rebuking his father. This storm was not from God. Neither is the storm that's coming against you now. And neither is this COVID-19. This storm is not from God. God didn't send it. But God wants us to do something more than pray and try to turn him into a glorified bellhop to ring the bell and say, come rescue us. Jesus then in turn after says, peace be still, he, 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 he looks to his disciples and says, why were you so afraid? Why is it, he said, that you have no faith? Now he rebukes them. First thing he does, he said they didn't have no faith. But he still, listen, the lack of faith, weak faith or no faith will not stop a good daddy from helping his kids out. But he's going to use it as a teachable moment. And he's going to say, listen to me, I did not design you for me to have to come rescue you every time. I already modeled for you what to do, and so you should have woke up and you should have spoke to the opposition. You should have said, listen to us, Storm. I have a word from God that says to go to the other side, and that's what we're going to do. We will make it to the other side. The wind may be against us. The waves may be beating against the ship, but please, God, we will make it to the other side because God said we would. See, that's the difference. Listen, I promise you this, not one of those disciples when they woke Jesus up was thinking, God said, we're going to the other side. Not one of them were thinking that. See, when you're in a storm, you have to to ground yourself on what God said. You you can't focus on the storm. You, You can't focus on that. You have to say, listen, God said, we shall go to the other side. And and so you have to remind yourself, you got to speak out. God said, We're going to the other side. There's another side to this. I know it looks bad right now, but this is not how it's going to stay. And and you stand on the word of God. Jesus rebuked the storm because the storm was demonic, it was satanic. So, what are you and I to do? We're, We're to say something out of our mouth. Jesus wanted those disciples. The reason he rebuked them is Jesus would have said, I could have still been napping. If y'all would have done what I've taught you to do, you got to say something. You got to speak to the storm, speak to the mountain. Don't tell me how big the mountain is. Speak to the mountain and tell the mountain how big I am. Speak and how you, you tell You got a word. You got a promise. We just sung all of His promises, not some of them. Are yes and amen. Let it be so. Yes and amen. All the all you gotta do is find the promise. Find the promise. Stand on it. What is His promise to you? Yes. Amen. So you, you're, to, you're to read the word of God, get you a promise, and, and God says, yes, that's for you. And then when he says, yes, that's for you, you are supposed to say amen. Amen means let it be so to me. Find a promise, agree with it, stand on it. Find a promise, agree with it, stand on it. Irregardless of the storm. God didn't put you in the boat to lead you out to die. Come on. You gotta understand that the word of God over you actually attracts attack from the enemy. Mark chapter 4, Mark 4, 17th verse says, and they have no root in themselves. Talking about about, this is the parable of the sower. And they these people that don't have any root in themselves, so endure only for a time. Afterward, listen, when Tribulation or persecution arises. Why is it arising? For the word's sake. Immediately they stumble. It don't say if tribulation or persecution. I'm going to tell you, it's coming, baby. It's coming. Got your name on it. Do you have a word? Do you have a promise? Has God spoken something to you concerning you? Concerning You, if God, you, 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 you know, you'll get prophesied to. Your children are going to get born again. And you'll go home and they'll, they'll be like the devil incarnated. That's what it will look like. Some of you have had prophetic words over you of financial wealth and increase in blessing and turn around and go home and, and, and face bankruptcy. Because when that word was released over you, which was a word from God, the enemy attacked that in you to try to make you relinquish that word. God's word over you attracts tribulation from the enemy. And you got to know that it's... it's to, it, that's the way it is God's word over his son at his baptism was this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased God spoke audibly that was God's word was it not spoken to a person Jesus as soon as that word was said it attracted the attack of the enemy and the enemy's attack his main entrance each time with each temptation was if you are the Son of God. So whatever God says over you, the enemy will attack. The enemy can actually be a confirmation for you. Your attack can actually be a good thing in the sense that it can confirm, oh, yes, see, many of us like me, when I was born again, I, you know, I'm saved. I declared out of my mouth, I'm saved. And then right after I was saved, I remember I had the biggest battle just convincing myself that I was really saved. Because they, I found myself, even in the first week of me being saved, sometimes I wanted to cuss somebody out. Or the old me rose up real fast. And the enemy was quick to point out my deficiencies and to say to me, you're not saved because if you was really saved, you would not be acting like this. You would have not have done that. And I didn't have any training back then to know that if the devil telling me I'm not saved, then that just means I am really saved because the devil's smart enough to know if I wasn't saved, he wouldn't be the one to wake me up and tell me. He would just let me stay in deception and this, no, no, no. But the fact he's telling me I ain't saved, the fact that he's telling you that you ain't healed, the fact that he's telling you that you ain't gonna get out of this, the fact that he's telling you this is the way it's gonna always be, that's the lie of the devil. And that means that God has put something on the inside of you that is his word. Glory. God puts and you have to stand on that. Say thank you devil for reminding me that I really am saved. Thank you, devil, for reminding me that God will and manifest my healing in my body. Thank you, devil, for reminding me that this addiction will not last. Thank you, devil, for reminding me that God has put a word on the inside of me and that this storm won't be it. There's another side to this. I'm crossing from somewhere. I'm crossing from here to there. I'm going to the other side. Glory. Hallelujah. I tell you, for America, there's another side. I'm telling you, a move of God is going to come upon this nation, make us forget COVID-19. It's going to be Jesus 2021 or Jesus 20, whatever it is, but we ain't going to be stuck on this. There's another side to this. (laughs) You know, when they got to the other side and they did, in spite of the storm, they did. And when those disciples got to the other side, in, in Mark chapter 5, it says that when they had arrived at the other side, they arrived at the place of the Gadarenes, And there met them a demonized man that no man could bind him nor any change could hold him. See, that's why the devil didn't want you to get to the other side because somebody needs the favor that's on your life. Somebody needs the anointing that's on your life. Somebody needs the Jesus that's in you. That's why the enemy don't want you to get to the other side. You don't know there's a demonized man that will stay demonized unless you get there. You don't know what your preaching's doing. You don't know what your witness is doing. You don't know what's going on. See, on the other side is a man that is demon-possessed. He's got so many demons. He's the most demonized man in the Bible. He has he, his, The demons, their name is Legion. Over 16,000 demons, 16,000 reside in this one man. He runs naked through the cemeteries. They have tackled him and wrapped chains around him, and through demonic, supernatural strength, he would break those chains. People would not travel in that region. They had heard the horrible tales of this madman. And everybody avoided the Gerardines, the Gadarenes, and that's where Jesus landed the boat. He said, that's when we got to get to the other side. I have heard a cry. Somebody needs me. And he stepped on that ground, and that man didn't run from him. He ran to him. And the demonized man said, oh, Jesus. See, the devil knows who Jesus is. Do you know who he is? Do you know who you carry? Do you know the anointing that's within you? Do you know the power that's been put on you? Do you know the favor that you have with God? Do you know what it means to be a child of God? Do you know what it means for the Holy Spirit of God to indwell you? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He knew. He said, son of, uh, son of God, Jesus, what have you doing coming here to torment me before my time? See, that man had a fatalistic view. He didn't have any view of a future. He didn't have no one-year, five-year, ten-year plan. All he planned was death and despair and demonic torment for eternity. Jesus like, I didn't come here to torment you. I come here to evacuate what's residing in a vessel that was created in my image and in my likeness. Jesus said, what is your name? He said, "My our name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus said, come out of the man. And they came out, and that man was seen next, view in scripture, closed in his right mind, Setting with Jesus, talking about the future. In fact, the man said, I want to go with you from here forward. Jesus said, no, I want you to go back home, and I want you to tell your family what God has done in your life. See, that's, that's why the favor's on you. God's put favor on you. God's put favor in you. It's not just for you. It's for somebody else that needs it. Don't get caught up in this world. There's another side to this. Today when they were singing that song, man, that last song, my heart was crying. See, you know why people will stay out of the church? I understand the Bible. I'm talking about even before that. This has given a lot of people that needed excuse what they consider to be a legitimate one. I've had people look at me that didn't come to this church and say, I don't think I'm ever going to go back to church. I I done found I enjoy my Sundays lady the other day in the business I was at, she said, I work six days a week. And she said, I don't think I'll ever go back. She said, I'll tell you what I do. I just get up on Sunday morning and turn my radio on. And I listen to Sunday morning coming down, and that's my church. And they, you know, she ain't going to get you to hell or nothing, but you, you're missing out a whole lot. But, you know, there's history of this nation where great men and women of God preached the gospel. Some did it in tents, like Brother William Brannan, Jack Coe, A.A. A. Allen. Even at the turn of the century, great, great speakers, revivalists, even from Europe and other nations came. And, and people would climb into trees. They didn't have a building big enough to hold those crowds. You know why? Because God was doing signs, wonders, and miracles in their midst. I'll tell you what, if, if, see, the, America as a whole looks at the church as irrelevant. They've already told us that we were non-essential. They look at us as totally irrelevant, nothing significant or life-changing going on, and you just come and you sing a few songs and you get a little teaching and you go home. And that's the way even the average Christian looks at what they'll get, and that's why it's not a big deal for them not to come because they don't feel like they're missing a bloody thing. I can get whatever I want to get off the Internet. You can't get this off the Internet. They ain't in there nowhere got this. But my heart cries again. I was reading this morning. It said in Acts 19, it said, God worked unusual signs through the hands of the Apostle Paul, insomuch so that they would take handkerchiefs and aprons from his body and lay it upon the sick and they recovered. That's unusual. Some people wouldn't mock you if you did that, but I remember back in the older days, now I've been preaching 34 years, where, where people would walk up before the service and hand me a handkerchief. They would say, Pastor, would you stick this in your pocket while you preach today? I got a little child home with terminal cancer. I want to carry this handkerchief and lay it on her and believe God for healing. People would make fun of you. They'd mock you for that. That's ridiculous. No, it's faith. Oh, I have seen miracles. I've seen signs and wonders. I've seen moves of God. And that's why it's so hard to tolerate this sometimes. But let me tell you what is in my heart, and this is absolute truth. All I said today when, they was, when y'all were singing that last song to me, I said, Lord, just I know it's coming. I know it's coming, but just let me, I said, Lord, let me see it. And then I said, Lord, I don't want to just be an observer. Let me not only see it, but let me participate in the next thing that you're going to do to sweep across this nation. I, I want to be involved in it. There are times that there are sovereign moves of God. You may call them revival. That's fine. Whatever you want, but there's times when God just moves in a miraculous, supernatural way. I have lived through many of those in my lifetime in these 60 years. I expect more. This is not how it's going to end, not for America. Not for God and not for the world. The best wine has been saved for the last. The glory of the latter house shall exceed the glory of the former house. There shall be a coming together of the former reigns and the latter reigns. And the end thereof shall be greater than that that we've ever seen before. For men shall see the glory of God. They shall see the presence of God in manifestation. They'll run to it. They'll run to it. They won't run from it. I pray that God would move in such a way that you couldn't eat. People fight you to get your seat. They ain't going to miss because they don't, they don't want to miss it. God might show up this morning. God might do something in an unusual, awesome way. Man, I've seen and I've lived and I've pastored through moves of God and miracles of God. I've seen people with diseases that they said cannot be healed instantly, healed right before my eyes. I've seen God do what man said he could not do. And I've seen the effect. I've seen people line up in my church at 12 noon for a 7 o'clock service, and we have to have my staff go say, I'm sorry, but you can't sit here all day. We'll open the of the service uh, two hours before, but please, you have to go home where my staff can go home and eat supper and come back. That happened to me. I know what it is to see that level of hunger where people would line up. I've seen them lined up waiting for for my church to unlock the door to let them in. I've had so many great men of God and women of God who have preached in my pulpit. Rodney Howard Brown that they locked up in Tampa preached in my pulpit. I sat and chatted with him on his bus when he drove to my church. If there's ever a God-called evangelist, this is Rodney Howard Brown. It's right now in Brown, Tampa, the river. Got locked up. All come out to be a load of hooey, but because he worshiping God. If we had half the faith we do in God that we have fear for COVID-19, we'd be some powerful move. Jensen Franklin flew his jet, landed in my city and preached for me. Great man of God. Jesse Duplantis came to my church, flew his Learjet, had to land in Tifton runway, wasn't long enough in Cook County. Came to my church, sat in my office for an hour and a half with Brother Jesse Duplantis across from my desk. And my, my desk and everything was real small. It was so small you had to go outside, change your mind. I mean, it was small. I thought, man, God, they said Jesse caught a tailwind, Pastor, he's going to be here early. You better get down here quick. (laughs) I thought, man, Jesse don't want to sit in my little office. Jesse, just a regular guy like us, preached the gospel. I could just sit here and name them over and over. And, and, And not because I was impressed by those people, but there is a favor that rests upon people's lives for different calls and different times and even different seasons. Bob Shadows, who's with the Lord. Is part of our network. I didn't understand the miracles that was happening, but there was a time in the, around the year 2000 where God was doing an unusual sign and wonder all across the world where gold dust would just fall. It freaked some people out, including me. I lived through it, pastored through it, and I observed it in many different cities and places. God saves thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people because they would come to the meeting to see the sign. But a sign ain't it. The sign points to something. Rather, the sign points to someone. They was always asking Jesus, show us a sign. Some of you, when you go through hard places, and I'm not saying you shouldn't and and God doesn't care. Oh, God, show me a sign that you love me. All he says is look at the cross no greater sign will be given than that one. You just got to believe it was for you. I've seen miracles and signs, and, and, and I was feeling today, I said, some Sunday I'm just going to talk about those things, just try to stir it up in you. And I couldn't make none of that happen. I didn't make it happen in my church, but it happened. And it happened with Mon- people that never even heard of Bob Shadows. So I don't believe in that, that's fine. They didn't believe in a lot of things they saw in the Bible either. But God has used some unusual signs to get folks' attention and to get them in a position to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, O oh Lord, for those signs and wonders that you would renew those works again in our day. I pray that we would be a people that would be open and be willing to to be vessels, to demonstrate, and to be true ambassadors for Christ. Whatever it is, Papa, that you want to do, we want to say that we want to be involved in what's on your heart. We pray, God, that you would move not only in this house, but in every house that preaches Jesus Christ, Him crucified, buried, and resurrected. I pray, Father, that you would move in this place. And we say to you, and I say to you, as this shepherd under-shepherd, under you, the chief shepherd. Lord, we want you. We'll take you however you come, Lord. We'll receive you into our boat just as you are. Lord, we want a word from you that we'll go to the other side. And we pray for the other side of this thing that's coming against our nation. There's another side to COVID-19. There's another side, and we're crossing through something right now. And there's the storm that's raging. But let us not just pray to you to come rescue us, but let us stand up as the church with authority and speak to the storm. We speak to COVID-19. We speak to these, these enemy and all his strategies and all the fear and all the violence and all the things that he desires, all the chaos. We speak to that. We say, peace, be still. We rebuke it because this is not from God. and We stand, Lord, and we call for the peace because the enemy is just trying to stop those that are so in bondage like that man in the Gadarenes from being delivered. The devil don't want us to get to him because he knows deliverance will be theirs if we just make it to the other side. I pray that this country makes it to the other side of this, and I pray that those that are in bondage and in change spiritually, I pray that they would be delivered just as that man. Named Legion was delivered, that they would be clothed and in their right mind, they would know what it is to have a future and to have a hope. They would know the plans of the Lord for them, are not to harm them, but to give them that hope and a future. And I pray that for all of us and for each of us. I pray that we awaken ourselves and not be caught in all this stuff. We remember who our God is. We remember, Father, what you've put in us. And when storms come, we will remind you, reverently though we do it, of the word that you said. For Father, you said that by your stripes I was healed. And we stand on that word. I pray that we stand on the word of God. That's the only thing that's solid. The only thing that is dependable is you, God. You are the rock that does not move. You are that stable foundation. And Father, let all the insecurity which is wrong, security exposed, be revealed to us that we've got our foot, our trust on something other than you. Let our security and our hope be confident, so confident that we can sleep and lay down in a storm. Amen. You've heard me say it before, and I close with this. See, some of us are trying to speak to things because just somebody like me said speak to it. But it's more than that. You can't speak to what you can't sleep through. I said you can't speak to what you can't sleep through. The peace of God is not a prescription that runs out. The peace of God is because the Prince of Peace indwells you. You may not feel peaceful. It may not look peaceful around you. It may, in fact, look very chaotic. But it doesn't matter what it looks like or feels like. We sung about that today. But the peace of God is your portion. It is your gift. What is it that crushes the enemy? And the peace of God shall soon crush. Is that what it says? It's the peace of God that crushes the enemy. It's not you screaming at him. It's the peace. See, that's what crushes the enemy. When, when storms are going, when you just have peace, just peace. And, and not only do you have peace, but you speak peace. So when you see a storm, you speak peace. You speak the opposite. Storm, Peace. In other words, you release on the outside what you carry on the inside. All Jesus did is he didn't have to pray for Papa to send him peace. All he had to do was he was already at peace. He demonstrated he had peace by sleeping in a storm, and he just simply released out of his mouth. But see, listen, Jesus being Jesus still had to do what you and I got to do. He had to say something. Just because he walked to the bow of the boat, it didn't stop, y'all. The storm did not stop until Jesus opened his mouth and said something. What did he say? The opposite of what he was seeing. Chaos, storm, death, confusion. Jesus says, peace. Be still. I actually think it was peace to the storm and then to disciples, be still. (laughs) That's all it took from him was just say, peace. These guys are getting ready to be still. Be still. And it says in the sea, was totally calm. Then he turns to them. Don't be afraid. Why are you so fearful? God's on the boat with you. Why are you so afraid? The Lord's not only with you. He was with them. You have greater. He's in you. It's Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. Christ in you. He resides in you. He's not just with you. He's in you. Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? There's nothing stronger than God. Don't be afraid. Choose faith over fear. That's not just a cliche nowadays. That's something to live by. Amen? I love you guys, man. I love you in Jesus. Okay, stand with me. God bless you so much. I'm sorry for getting, no, I ain't sorry. I got a little excited. I'm not sorry. It was for I did all that for all you Pentecostal background people. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you get a lot of flavors here. This is like lifesavers. So you get a lot of different flavors. Amen. I think it's okay. Don't you to get excited about the gospel though? All right. Yes, ma'am. Bless him. All right. We love you, Grace Point. God bless you. Go enjoy this day. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.